just doing an intro here. Welcome all to the Karma Club with Dr. Francine Hardaway. You've come to Karma Club, a I, weekly I, opportunity to have or hear serious discussions with smart people who want to build a community around love and help. We address serious issues in non-polarizing ways. Our currency isn't money. It's the Karma Coin, a creator coin that supports 75 other digital creators and entrepreneurs. You can join the fund at rally.io slash creator slash karma, and you can learn about Dr. Francine Hardaway, Karma Club founder, at linktree slash karma club. All right. That would be me, everybody. I just got in on a plane. Um, where's Ashwin? I just saw him. Uh Ashwin, I missed you in London, um, but I just got in on a plane from London last night. Um, I've got some very exciting plans for Karma Club this year. Um, like to uh, to do this session first. The new year is going to be very interesting uh, for a lot of different reasons, and this is an item of business. Uh, kind of that we had left over from last year. But uh, let me tell you what we did last year in the Karma Club. You're probably not aware of it because um, it doesn't necessarily involve you, but I'm hoping that it will. We gave two grants to uh, marginalized, uh, I don't want to say marginalized, to deserving um, founders. One of them, one recipient was Rebecca for the Blacks to help her finish her video for her Kickstarter campaign. And um, the other one, um, I'm not going to mention the name, but it actually uh, was for another creator who uh, fell on some hard times and had COVID. And so <clears throat> I was really proud that... <clears throat> the Rally Karma Coin Fund uh, was able to do that. It now supports not 75, but 85 creators. And I think this is going to be a fantastic year for it. Uh, at, we've started a Discord. And I want to, yeah, first of all, go to Rally io slash creator slash karma and get yourself five karma coins they are i think a dollar sixty a piece the that money is what we use for the fund that supports um the grants that we give out and then there we have a discord now a karma club discord and the discord has special information on it about all of the topics we are going to discuss and or topics we have discussed right now it's got food insecurity it's got covid covid information it's got uh there's a couple of other topics on there barbara's reading is also on there for for today barbara is a very esteemed uh writer and teacher on diversity, male, male, female leadership issues. And so Barbara had written some articles and we put them in the discord. 
And if you ever want to go to a Discord that isn't toxic, our Discord is not top toxic. Our, our, our Discord is um, the kind that teaches you things. And I want to keep it that way, and I am going to keep it that way. I'm going to token gate it uh, and make sure that uh, <clears throat> there has to be a small commitment, as in five karma coins, to get into it. And that's one of the things that we're going to do this year. The other thing that we're going to do is continue, of course, to use the Karma Coin to raise money for founders and creators. And after today, I'm going to uh, go into a month of, I don't know what to call it, uh, not crypto for dummies, but, but <laughs> crypto without lies and scams. I... Um, two things you might not know about me. One is I have a PhD. A PhD is a research de degree. And what it does is teach you how to find out and vet lots of different topics. So I have a research degree. And last year, I did a lot of research into cryptocurrency. And to be honest, a lot of investment. And a lot of uh, a lot of investment into NFTs, and I've gotten to the point now where I'm going to start putting together good materials because one of the things that I have found about NFTs and cryptocurrencies and Web three and metaverses and all of these you know hotshot subjects is that none of them have um, articulate. Um, speakers attached to them so what we're going to do is we're going to create a little course so that if you want to go to a safe place to learn where you don't have to risk your hard-earned money and you can learn what to look for and how to do it and you don't want to be in a pump and dump room you can come to karma club and i'll give uh, talks and i'll invite other experts to give talks every week. So we're going to do about a month of that and see how it goes and if it's interesting to people. So without further ado, I think I'm going to <coughs> ask Barbara to take over because among other things, um, I have a cough. I don't think it's COVID, but I have a cough. Heyman is saying water. Okay, I'm gonna get some water. Barbara's kisses, no COVID. Kisses, kisses, no COVID. No COVID. No COVID. Yes. No Omicron. No Delta. There's actually a new variant that doesn't have a specific name yet. It still has like the little number letter name because it's not um, a, a, a variant of interest yet. So kisses, no variants of interest that are not of interest yet either. Mm -hmm. Yes, Barbara, you can bring up anyone you would like. Great, wonderful. I don't have the uh, moderator. I'm not pointing this moderator. So, Heyman, do you mind bringing up Dr. Denise? Oh, I am now. So, good. Thanks. You know how these rooms go. They start to fill up as the discussion goes on. So, there's nothing that says we can't bring up other people. 
Great. And uh, to introduce Barbara, I think I think uh, Barbara is basically the CEO of Gender Intelligence Group. I've pinned the uh, the link up there, and uh, she's renowned for her gender diverse and inclusive leadership, and advocating for value and practice in new types of leadership roles in organizations worldwide. And so, thank you very much, Barbara, for joining us. And you're an award winning uh, a person in this leader, a female leader, especially in this space. Uh, though it shouldn't matter these days, but you. Uh, this is the key of our discussion, so look forward well, to it. Well, actually, it does matter. It, it does? Matters Perfect. In different, <laughs> different ways than you think. Barbara and I had a really great in-person meeting. By the way, let me, let me digress and just tell you that when you meet somebody from Clubhouse in person, it is different from meeting almost anybody else uh, for the first time in person. When you meet a Clubhouse person, they are who they are. I I met Royfield Brown and Dr. Victor in London, and it was exactly like talking to them on Clubhouse. And I met Barbara in Scottsdale, and we got into a discussion immediately that showed that we had we shared a lot of the same beliefs. So I'm I'm going to leave Barbara to talk for my beliefs because. Um, what we don't want to do, Heyman, is treat men and women and their leadership styles as if they were alike. And that's where Barbara, Barbara has done some gender-breaking research on how that, why that should not happen and how not to let it happen. Great. Thank you, Francina. Thank you, Heyman. So I'll get rolling. Um, so, yeah, it's really interesting. So I started my career at Sony, um, and for those who have watched my TED Talk, um, you know, the first woman sales, I was very, very successful. But when I went there, and it was in the 80s, I was really forced to fit in. You know, it was kind of, you, you, you need to be one of the guys, right? And I was actually sent to confidence training. They call it guerrilla war tactics for women in business in San Francisco where they trained me the very alpha male style of leadership. And, and I went back and I really applied those skills to Sony. And then at the year end, my boss, uh, in, in the feedback evaluation form, filled out saying she has become a very dangerous woman. So I, I fell into this catch-22. You know, I couldn't be my authentic self, but I took on the male behaviors and then I was dangerous. So, but weren't you, you know, salesman of the year or yeah. something like that at Sony, which is, yeah. I think, comical? Yeah, rookie salesman of the year, and I got the male watch. Yeah, that's a long time ago. They've, they've, they've evolved since, that's for sure. However, there is this thing about, you know, this concept, the old concept of great minds think alike versus great minds minds think unalike and what I really want to share with you is the unalikeness the, the complementary differences that men and women bring in business in leadership in collaboration and how vital it is especially as we enter this year that we really talk about diversity talk about inclusion talk about men and women of all different aspects the entire bell curve or spectrum of diversity so I'll hone in on the gender lens for now and, and really start talking about the neuroscience. And I want to introduce Dr. Denise and John as well. Uh, they'll be collaborating with me in this conversation. And uh, 
Dr. Dewey, do you want to briefly just introduce yourself and then John, and then we'll get going. Sure, Barbara, thank you. I'm Dr. Donnie Swarden. I'm a physician and a researcher. I'm in Arizona, and um, I work in the general health space. I do a lot with oncology and immunology and other things, but whenever I met Barbara, it's been maybe a year and a half ago, started learning more about gender intelligence and how that played into health, into what I was seeing clinically. It's just brilliant, and I'm just so excited to be part of it, part of the conversation, because we... Dr. Denise, where in Arizona are you? I, I Well, I, uh, East Valley. East Valley. Uh, because I also am in Arizona. And oh, great. We, we could easily have a face-to-face -face meeting. <laughs> Well, we will talk about that after this this clubhouse. That would be great. So, yeah, Barbara's message is very, very important, and the differences and the synergies of male and female brains and how we look at and what we need to do differently in medicine and in health and in wellness besides just how to communicate is very important. I'm, I'm, I'm. Thanks, Denise. Appreciate it, John. Thank you, Barbara, and uh, thank you for having me on your panel, Dr. Francine. Um, I've, Barbara, we've worked together now for the past 15 years or so. I'm a writer and researcher. I live in Atlanta, and uh, <clears throat> once a publisher came across Barbara's book, uh, Leadership and the Sexes, uh, with Michael Gurian, and uh, one of the books I selected once as a book of the year, and um, uh, amazing book. I contacted Barbara, got to know her. Since I've helped collab, I've collaborated on her last three books. I facilitate gender intelligent workshops, and um, I'm just happy to be here, Barbara. Thank you for having me. Thank you, John. Thanks so much. So we'll get started. And Francine, feel free to if you have any questions or anything. But I'll get rolling on why why is it important around gender differences. But before that, I just really want to talk about uh, how this all began. So. The neuroscience of gender differences was not ever researched prior to 1990. Before that, we only tested male-female, or male bodies, male brains, both human and animal. And the reason was that basically the assumption was that men and women were more or less the same, other than what scientists called the bikini factor, right? Uh, they actually called it that. Uh, so why mess up the data? Because the complexity of hormones that women, the cycles, will mess up the data. So that was the assumption. And then in 1990, Dr. Marion Legado was asked by the U.S. Health Department to research uh, gender differences because they discovered that 72% of women who suffer from heart attacks have very, very different symptoms than the traditional male heart attack symptoms. And they didn't, the doctors did not know that, and they were literally sending women home to die because they had flu-like symptoms when they were actually presenting a heart attack. And uh, so that was the, the wake-up call, you know, like... Or they told you, all they told you it was a panic attack, or they told you it was psychosomatic, depending on what decade you're talking about. But that's right, women were never taken seriously as having heart disease. It was, it was crazy. And I actually, my sister-in-law at age 38 died on the front lawn of her home when she was walking towards her car from a, a heart attack. And she'd been at urgent care the Friday before. And they said exactly what 
you said, Dr. Francine, you are, you are anxious and you may have some flu-like symptoms. So go home and drink a lot of water and take an aspirin. And she died, right? So, yeah, so I'm very, I'm very passionate about this for many reasons and especially this particular reason. But the beautiful thing about this is that the neuroscience now have covered 1 million brains in 32 countries and all continents. So it covers every aspect of race, ethnicity, etc. And also the neuroscience has also opened up more research around LGBTQ2 just because they started looking at the gender difference. They said, okay, what other differences do we need to know about? So it really has created this explosion, which I think is, is incredible. Uh, John, do you want to add anything before I continue? Uh, not on this top uh, subject, uh, Barbara, but uh, soon. Thank you. What about Dr. Denise? Do you want to add anything before I continue? You know, I, I got bumped off just for a minute, but I would just like to say that neuroscience is guiding us in other things besides just brain health. You know, we're talking about the heart, but the hormones, everything. We are unique, but we are similar. And the more we learn, the more tailored and individual medicine we can use. And that's exciting. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, again, I've written uh, five books on it, but one of the books oh, that... I would like to... I would like to oh, Really quickly. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, and thank you so much. It's, it's for black and for the blacks. You don't have to be scared. <laughs> so, um, and thank you. We, we really have, like, a nice, full, robust room now, um, Heyman and Dr. Francine. This is exciting. Uh, yeah, so I've been doing a lot of research, too. So I, I also do diversity training primarily around race is why most people come to me, hence black issues issues. But I'm also, you know, a Bachelor of Science in Speech Communication Disorder, so ableism, and then also clearly uh, gender gender bias as well. Um, and so my research and what I'm really curious about is how much is the balance between nature and nurture, like how much of um, the way, I guess, you know, cis male gender identifying uh, people the way that they show up in the world is because of um, conditioning, because of of uh, other ways in which our systems and societies um, enable or infantilize <laughs> um, certain aspects of, of, of humanity within within the male gender versus how much of this is actually biological. Um, that's what I'm curious about. That's a great question, and it comes up so often, obviously, because it is a combination of both nature versus nurture and the way that you know when we look at all these 85 different neuroscientists that we've worked with over time including anthropologists sociologists psychologists etc is the discussion is there's a difference between biological differences so nature versus nurture so when we think about gender you know that could be a whole host of all kinds of differences but when we look at biological hardwired differently like the nature part of it um and I wish I could show you brain slides right now, which you could see in the second and third trimester of uh, women pregnant. You can actually literally go in with an MRI scan safely and see that the brain of the male fetus versus the female fetus is wired quite differently. And the firing is quite different. And that's also is in the adult brain. But yeah, so the way that I would say it simplistically is there's a combination of both. However, we have been ignoring the nature part, and we've been focused more on the nurture part, right? And, uh, you know, I was exactly the same. Had you come into my office at Sony 
and said, oh, wait, there are biological differences between men and women, I would have escorted you out saying thank you so much. Because I really back then thought it was only nurture. I really did. And even with my son, my firstborn, you know, I gave him a Ken doll, no guns, no trucks, no nothing, right? And he took that doll and he'd never been exposed to television or anything. And he took the leg off and started going boom, 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 all kinds of things. It was just fascinating. Age three, right? So the nature part is what we've been ignoring. And that's why we have 72% of women, you know, who exhibit different heart attacks dying from these heart attacks because we don't know what we don't know when it comes to the biological. If I may add to that, Barbara, the, um, it's also ignoring the nature uh, is, a, uh, I believe, a detriment uh, to women in business. I mean, if we're talking about leadership, there are, this is all about tendencies. Uh, there's no black and white in this, and there's even bridge brains where one-fifth of us tend to think like the other gender, not across the board, but specific, in specific things. But um, it's to the detriment of women, the, um, uh, the uh, anxiety rates or um, uh, stress levels of women uh, is much higher because uh, in some of the research I've seen, they can't express themselves at work fully. Uh, they and it gets it also gets to meritocracies and what we and what you spoke of earlier, Barbara, and what we honor uh, in in leadership and those tendencies tend to be male. Now it's since the the, the industrial revolution, it's been male based primarily up until maybe the seventies when things really started to change and there has been significant change. But I, I think um, it is to the detriment of women that we ignore nature. Thank well, you, you mean you mean we to the detriment of women in that we should be testing women for heart disease the way we test men, or the detriment of women like we need to realize that women come into the game with higher stress levels, or we you know I'm trying to figure out how that fits. I I know Barbara and I are going to end up somewhere in how this applies to leadership in business and why not to why not to train women to lead like men but and what women can um what women can say you know or do in business that men can't but but it, you know, it's that aspect right there dr francine the de detriment would be women moving into positions of leadership because they don't uh, lead transactionally as men do or unemotionally as men do. And I'm, again, speaking of general tendencies, but to that detriment, yes, the, there's the stress factors. That's a detriment health-wise. But it's also career-wise, uh, which is another which is taking so long. Only 8 or 9% of women as CEOs, as example, when all we've seen is pure benefit from the blending of difference thinking in every financial study made yet. Yet we're slow in making that change because our perception of what leadership means hasn't changed to the detriment of women not being able to move in leadership positions is what I was thinking. Thanks, John. So let's get into a little bit about um, the, the leadership style differences. And before we do that, I just want to share a story about a client of mine, which or ours, I should say, which was Deloitte. So Deloitte was recruiting 52 to 60% women accountants 
over a course of 15 years. But the turnover increased from 10% to 27%. And they couldn't figure out why. And it was costing them, what was it, John, 140 million turnover in the U.S. and 40 in Canada? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and the assumption was, Dr. Francine, you'll totally connect to this, the, the assumption was, well, women can't hack it, or women can't, uh, it's, it's work-life balance issues. That's why they're leaving. So they literally called us and said, "Could you do you do training for women on time management? And I said, no. <laughs> Unless you want to increase the turnover, you could do that. And uh, they went back, and kudos to them, they went back and they did the research, did their homework, and they found that the number one reason that women left was they didn't feel valued. And they went even back further and looked at women of color, and that was scored even lower. Women of color felt excluded, dismissed, not valued. So, and the reason being is that they had a culture based on sameness. There was this thing about being cultural fit or do you fit within the team? You know, PwC called it the mini-me syndrome where they were promoting, you know, younger versions of themselves, which was my men, right? Uh, anyway, in three years, they were able to reduce it to 11%. And what they did was they started researching and learning about gender and about both nurture and nature and implementing a different type of leadership style that had to do with being inclusive and appreciating both styles of men and women, both the transactional and the transformational style, both the competing and collaboration style. And that was one. I mean, just fascinating. There are now 62 studies all over the world. Two of them did not have any correlation, but the 60 of them had a correlation that when you have greater representation of women in mid and senior management, there's a greater correlation up for results. John, do you want to add anything to that? Right. So, like, you know, they also created the, the part-time partnership program, recognizing at, at Deloitte, recognizing that women do have a greater burden domestically than males do. It, uh, and so this... Men actually wanted to participate in that program because of men's desire to spend more time with family. And clients loved it because they had two brains. You know, part-time partnership, you're sharing a client with another partner in essence. But um, I think a brilliant program that, uh, that worked for them, Barbara. Yeah, my daughter worked for Deloitte. And maybe, maybe around the time they started that program, but... It was because so many people were leaving because you couldn't have a life. You were on the road all the time, you know, and if you were a woman and you wanted to have or had a family, how, how were you going to do it? I mean, <clears throat> I don't, in, in my day, um, which feels like the Middle Ages, you know, you just, if you were a woman and you owned a business, you just did it. You didn't think about how to do it. You didn't do it well. You didn't know a damn thing about I, You know when I learned about leadership? Intel bought my business. And when Intel bought my business, I came into Intel at a high level that made me eligible for their leadership training. And so I thought to myself, gee, wouldn't it be interesting to find out, you know, what I should have known when I was running my own businesses. So I took every leadership training class that Intel had. And boy, 
I was very surprised because they have a very male model of leadership. And I finally left the company because they, they would teach in their leadership training classes that high performers, you know, how to high, how to manage high performers and how to listen to every voice in the room and all that kind of stuff. And then none of the people who managed me treated me the way the management training classes said that people should be treated. So I, I think there's a lot of room still for improvement in management leadership training because there's not only gender differences, but there are race differences, there are background differences, and every single one of them makes a difference in what kind of leader you will be. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, Dr. Francine. If I can um, weigh in super fast, um, just in terms of, I, I think it, it's it's what you don't know that you don't know, right? And it's kind of like if we're swimming in water, fish are swimming in water and they don't know they're wet, um, and so I had a, a fellowship with Coro for leadership development. So similar to what you're saying, um, Dr. Francine. And I, I think that the issue also is... What's Coro? Oh, Coro. So um, I guess we could Google Coro. It actually is C-O-R-O and it doesn't stand for... Um, it's, it's, people get confused all the time. They're like, what does it stand for? It actually doesn't stand for anything. But um, Coro... Um, there's offices in New York, and I do believe also in L.A., and they're responsible for churning out a lot of the leaders in the public and private sector. So I think there's like a record, like 70 um, Coro alum that are now serving under new mayor Eric Adams administration in New York City. Um, so Coro does a lot. So I, uh, my fellowship with Coro was for educational leadership, which is a pretty heavily female um dominated um industry right but they they have it for all for for labor for the environment they have it they have a lot of different um programs and tracks but it still has this core fundamental um curriculum and you know i i'm listening to the conversation and one of the tools we learned is analyzing a situation uh, an issue from being on the dance floor or being on the balcony right so when you have when you're on the balcony you have like a much broader view of like what's going on um holistically versus you're much more intimately and acutely aware of that same issue if you're literally on the dance floor right you see the dj you see how many people are drinking versus how many people are dancing on the balcony you can you can more so see like oh wow like you know some people are leaving or how many more people are there um and so i'm thinking also about how we live in a right-handed dominated world as well right again these are things that we're not aware of so i'm thinking balcony perspective versus um dance floor perspective right like things we don't even we don't even realize like like the orientation of a, everything from a desk to a doorknob like everything is already literally retrofitted to i like, am left-handed so right. you can't you are speaking to the choir. I, or, my or even at school, everything was everything. uncomfortable. And I just literally, I literally just said, right, right, right is, is considered, right, like you're correct, right? Like, like what, and, and left, usually when you say, oh, you went left, right, that, that also connotes you're wrong. So it's literally embedded, and I just realized that, like, like to the degree to which, it's embedded in our culture, in our in our systems, in our in our um, in our rituals, um, and, and and it it is 
it is ubiquitous to the point where we don't even think of it as being problematic. But I think that um, what Barbara uh, is, is sharing with us and everybody else on stage is to really look even deeper. Like what, what is it that we think is sacrosanct or just the way things are and, and instead pivot and question it and say, okay, well, who does this, uh, as an activist um, in the Occupy movement, we would say, who do you protect who do you serve? This is what we would say in front of the cops. But like the same thing for these systems, right? Who's being protected? Who's being served by this very um, type A? Remember type A in the 80s? Remember? Okay. So type A male dominated uh, view of leadership, which is usually very um, competitive as well. Uh, so, you know, I'm working with them. Um, I'm doing diversity um training with a company out in Toronto right now that uses a holacracy method, which is um, less hierarchical um, and more circular in your thinking and, 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 dis and redistribution of power. And I think that that's, that's what, also that's what Tony about. Shea tried to do with Zappos. Mm, yes. That's exactly what he tried to do. Hey, guys, um, I just want to do a little parenthesis here. Um uh, there are two people with their hands raised, and I want to call them up, and I keep calling them up, and it says that they've been called up. Uh, <clears throat> Jeanette Wolf and One Futurist One, I tried. I am trying to get you up here. So I, I had to interrupt and, and just say that because I want everybody who wants to come up and say something to be able to say something. Maybe we can also leave the room and come right back. Yeah. <clears throat> Try that because Dr. Jeanette Wolf is amazing and it would be great yes, to have her come oh, up. Oh, here she She's is. She's on stage. Good. Oh, great. She's Hi. Thank you. Okay. Dr. Francine, okay. I'm really enjoying the conversation. My name is Jeanette Wolf. I'm a very good friend of Barbara's and John, even though I haven't seen John for a while. Hi, John. So my, my story is very that. Very nice I, to meet you, Jeanette. I am a professor of emergency medicine at the UMass Chan School of Medicine, University of Massachusetts Bay State. I'm a frontline emergency medicine physician, which is a discussion for another day. But my area of interest is sex and gender medicine. So my two passions at this time and how I intersected with Barbara is that I'm very, very interested in getting my medical colleagues and medical researchers to accept biological sex and gender as default basic criteria for every medical research project they do. I'm very interested in doing that at a one-to-one -one level with individual researchers within my specialty, but also systemically of how you go higher up in the research pipeline to make changes so that it's easier and people are more motivated to do it through funding, through IRBs, through something simple of making a big publisher like Elsewhere change their template so every journal that uses that template now has to have an author when they submit their research include biological sex as a criteria if they want to get published in their journal. But my other interest is sex and gender and high stakes communication. As an emergency medicine physician, as you might imagine, it's been a little stressful the last two years and the communication aspects over and over and over again come up. And one of the things I just wanted to share is the way that I've looked at gender versus biological sex differences over the years has changed. And it's important for medical research that when we can nicely distinguish them, 
that we do because many times there are physiological differences that require us to change a test value. Maybe we need to change what is normal values for hematocrit or troponins. Maybe we need to do a test that is better physiologically for the body in front of us. So pure biological sex difference. Then there's gender differences. We, we know that implicit bias is very important in medicine. And how we solve that besides education might be systemic changes in electronic medical records. So when somebody comes in with this complaint, they default go into that pathway. So you don't have to have a physician remember to put them in that pathway. But what I would say is that I don't think it's a nice vertical line anymore. And that's because of epigenetics. Because if you have a male and a female who have the same exact exposure to something, how their DNA gets expressed, how it gets read, how they have proteins that are made, how their body reacts, and we see this with COVID, same infection, very different immunological response. That is the blurring line. So instead of having biological sex, vertical line, gender, I really think we need to think about it more as a loop. And the example I use is that we live in a very gendered world. John is more likely to work in a coal mine. Barbara's more likely to work in a nail salon. Both of those are exposed with high chemical exposures. How that would naturally express your DNA would be different because those chemicals would be different. But if you put Bob in a, or John in the nail salon, or Barbara in the coal mine, how the same exposure to the same chemicals from an epigenetic perspective, would be very, very different. And our epigenetics start in the placenta. So just a different way to think about all of this. I really think it's much more of a loop than a fine line. Thanks Dr. so much Jeanette, for giving me the opportunity to speak. Dr. Jeanette, yeah. you, you are coming back. That is not an ask. <laughs> yes. It's a command. Yes. You are such a valuable person to have in rooms. Because your, your type of experience is so different. Um, I do know one other emergency medicine um, communicator like you um, who is a black male. And I would love to have a room with the two of you talking about what you see in medicine. Because, I, you know, in the emergency room. Because I think that would be phenomenal. We all know intuitively that people are treated differently, but the fact that you can give this kind of background and that we can talk about it is the only way things are going to change. This is Dr. Warden. Can I jump in just for a minute just to play off of Dr. Wolf there? Yeah, um, So I want our listeners to think about, you know, genetics is like a blueprint. We can't really change that. But the epigenetic piece that she's talking about is how those genes either express or not. Some we want to be quiet, some we want to upregulate. And I want to put back in that your epigenetics is is affected by your mindset. Your diet, your lifestyle, all that. Yes, our bloods are different. We've got different hormones, all the physiological. But I don't want us to forget about that we can play a lot and do a lot epigenetically because of a stress response and how we handle it. So now we're back to what are your tools that you have for stress reduction? Because that helps us. No matter what those genes are, it helps us. And in communication and also if we are in our power in the silent, quiet, strong power of knowing ourselves, now we can see the differences in others. Otherwise, you're just seeing what's, 
you think should be in front of you. But the more we are present and mindful, the more we can see others and help them. So that's my two cents. Oh, that is so totally correct. First of all, uh, I'd like to reset the room and say that this is the Karma Club. We meet every Thursday. We discuss serious issues with smart people. Um, we never get in fights. And the goal of this club and this room is to support and educate. And I want to thank Heyman, who has been running what almost <laughs> amounts to a concert-level live show of links <laughs> in the background of this discussion. Heyman, I just love you. You are the best. <laughs> thank you. I agree wholeheartedly, and thank you, Jeanette and Denise, for bringing this conversation even deeper. Uh, we need to continue this. It's great to see you again, Jeanette. All right, so let's continue the conversation. So the topic here is gender differences in business. And we've talked about the fact that we created a culture of sameness and sameness thinking, and we haven't engaged in what we don't know we don't know. And we talked about Deloitte's blind spot and how they were able to create a breakthrough around that. Now, this was, I just want to be really explicit, this was the accounting side, not the consulting side of Deloitte. Uh, very different cultures there uh, as well. Um, so I really wanted to talk a little bit about the leadership and the contribution that men and women bring. So one of the things that uh, the prefrontal cortex and the corpus callosum are more connected and larger in women. And what does that mean? Is when women problem solve or innovate or think strategically, women tend to use divergent thinking and men tend to use convergent thinking. <clears throat> the challenge around that when you converge, which means you isolate on an issue, you look at the pro and the con, you, you look at it very linearly, uh, is that when women tend to diverge, saying, well, wait a minute, what, what about this and that, and how does would it impact over here more contextually? Often, if you're in a business where it's all about converging and speed and get make decisions fast, women tend to feel dismissed and excluded. And that's a, one of the top, top challenges that women experience. And I know in medicine, Jeanette, you've had that direct experience as well. Do you want to share, add to that? Am, am I still on or do I have to rejoin? You're, you're here. We hear you. I think my experience in medicine, so how Barbara and I know each other is that, like John, I read a book of hers a long time ago, and Barbara was actually my coach and peer mentor for the Women's Executive Leadership Program out of the Impact Center out of Washington run by John Hart, and she and I became very good friends there, and we continued to collaborate because I can tell you this world who understands this difference, even though it's coming, we're still on the up wave. And engaging allies and champions and understanding why this is such an important topic outside of medical health. In medicine, so much of patients' outcomes are determined upon communications. And if doctors and nurses and teams don't communicate effectively, patients can get really sick and they can die. So how you communicate under pressure I think has a very important gendered aspect to it. And the rules for communication may be slightly different and our perceptions around it may be slightly different. And one of the things that Barbara really taught me is just like how males and females have 
millions of different neurons in their noses, so we pick up smells differently. So anybody who's a mom and has emptied out their kid's stinky backpack because there's gym socks from three weeks ago knows this, and you ask your kid, and they're like, I don't smell anything. Just like that, the way that we often perceive conflict can be innately different. And once you actually understand that, I think it's a lot easier to depersonalize. So that's how some of the information I've learned from Barbara's has really helped me try to figure out how to effectively communicate under really high stakes situations when sometimes it's very hard to find your voice if you're dealing with dominant personalities. Thank you so much, Jeanette. It's just, uh, you know, I always say, this is a Mother Teresa quote, understanding means there's nothing to forgive. If we, ex- if we expand our understanding, <clears throat> we don't end up in a blame conversation. I was in a room yesterday in Clubhouse with a group of physicians, and there were men and women. I'm sorry, I take it back. It was a group of engineers, men and women. And they were talking, the women were talking about feeling dismissed and excluded and not valued, which are the top challenges, right? And uh, they were saying things like, you know, I share these ideas, but they don't connect for the men, so they completely ignore me or they interrupt me. I get interrupted all the time. Like all of that stuff, when we become gender intelligent, when we understand these differences, that won't happen. It will literally go away. Those challenges will go away. I should also include men's challenges. So the top challenge for men is men feel they have to be careful and they feel blamed and they've confused. They don't know what the rules are, right? So, and if these challenges perpetuate, as Jeanette's mentioning, Dr. Wolf, um, you know, we, we, we're going to end up with blind spots and issues and, and conflict and challenges. So it's really about moving beyond that. So just to include, before I continue, anybody want to add anything before I continue? Hey, it's Suzanne. Um, So, Barbara, I wanted to let you know that I currently work for Deloitte and I'm on the consulting side. And the lessons that you taught to the accounting side have definitely um, come over to the consulting side. Um, I know that people that worked for Deloitte 10 years ago say it's far different today than it was back then. Um, so kudos for you for that. Um, and then I just, I don't really know where this fits in, but I will tell you that when I became an executive, I was with Sun Microsystems and they had a very large <clears throat> percentage of their leadership was, um, was, were females. I want to say it was 42% when I was um, promoted. Um, but there weren't a lot of um, mothers that were executives. And that's because at the time they did not have a program that allowed um, part-time leadership. Um, and that was my demise because I, I was a young mom and I really wanted to continue to have a family and I wanted to put family first. And although Sun looked like that they um, really you know, were a good environment for work-life balance. In reality, it was not. And so after my third miscarriage and one healthy child that was six and a half weeks early due to stress, when I found out I was pregnant with my second, I just quit. So, I mean, those are just kind of a few lessons that I had learned. Suzanne, and I'm done speaking. And if I can't supervise, and, and I'm so sorry about that, um, Suzanne got yeah, just, whew. Um, but, but thank you for sharing that because those are the real world implications of, you know, office, office politics, right? Like, oh, this is not just a show on NBC that's a comedy. Like, 
these are this is a collateral damage of the hyper capitalistic competitive way in which corporate America is structured and we just take it for granted like this is just you know suffer in silence go 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 make more money um uh but uh the other thing I wanted to share is as an educator when we go through teacher preparation programs ironically we don't learn anything about the braid I mean it's just so hilarious to me that yeah nope there's no there's no classes on how the brain actually retains um information like maybe things have changed since i've gotten my master's degree but mm, probably it's probably still not um in depth because it because again it would be policy like anytime there's an education policy it's it's based on some need or some um issue that they're trying to solve you know so there's new um you know as you saw with the common core standards that came out a few years ago none of that had anything to do with the brain it had to, all, all of that had to do with taking a test and whether you could take it or not um so so that that i think is another policy and another gap um so really i'm interested in the the demystification right of like the phenomenon that we just kind of go oh good we just roll our eyes like oh this man is cutting me off oh you know this, this student just doesn't want to learn like no like maybe if we all if we all had a much more working knowledge of the brain and how the brain functions it's the most important part of our body in terms of like what differentiates us from other animals you know it's it's bizarre that we we live in a, 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 a you know a, a neurological uh, what a neuroscience society where we don't know <laughs> about our about our brain so that's what i wanted to share with lots of the blacks and speaking Barbara, I think audience would love to hear the the uh, difference in a man's uh, the ability to shut off the brain and a woman can't. It's visualized on the MRI, would you please explain that for everyone? Sure. A perfect example. Sure. Yeah. So, and, and you can see it on my TED talk. So, one of the things that when men and women rest, relax, there's a different brain activity. So, for men, I don't know how many in this audience have ever. Um, ask a man when he's relaxing, what are you thinking? And he'll say nothing. And we're thinking that's not possible. Well, actually it is. Men can literally tune, and boys, can tune out. So when you see the brain scan, you see very, very little neuron activity in a resting male brain. And in a resting female brain, it's on fire. We, we think about so many things. Literally, it's lit up, right? Um, and that's why we think it's impossible for men not to think about nothing. But here's the thing. We need different ways to de-stress and we need to honor those differences and and back to your point around really understanding the brain and continuing to educating ourselves around the brain because men and boys need to take time out to replenish their testosterone and that's their de-stress hormone and women need to talk it out talk it through to replenish their oxytocin the tender befriend hormone which is what uh, women uh, men women really need to do and often we don't know that, or even worse, we don't know that we don't know. And that can really escalate more stress. And why John was talking about women tend to have four times greater stress in the workplace and at home. John, do you want to add anything, or Denise, or Jeanette, or anyone? I, I do, Barbara. What you, your comment about honoring differences. And, um, and this goes back up to converging, uh, convergent and divergent thinking and the prefrontal cortex and all of that. And, you know, it's, it is, we, 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 we don't know what we don't know. But, but look at the other side of this as well. We say, for instance, that the female prefrontal cortex is larger than males up until the age of 
at the age of 13, and in their 20s, this tends to normalize, in a way, between males and females, but there's a reason that men's, male brain, the male, males have a smaller prefrontal at a younger age, or even that carries through the rest of their lives. There's a need to take risk. I mean, we, we balance, and this gets back, back to the, the conversation, and, and Dr. Uh, Jeanette, it's so great to hear your voice again, but the, the whole idea of epigenetics, do we nature, do we nurture our nature? So th- th- that's part of it as well, I think. But, but to honor the fact that uh, men and women are different, that men will never be like women, and women will never be like men, and we shouldn't want that, really, or we lose that difference thinking, I think. Sorry, John, I was coughing. Thanks for that. Totally right. That is totally right. I, You know, I don't want to be a man. Although lots of people think I do and always have thought that I did, I really don't want to be a man. I recognize that I have some unique uh, characteristics that come from being a woman. And, uh, and I think they, in a way, have served me well. Yeah, what you're saying is really important, Dr. Francine, because back to, you know, when I was saying when I was at Sony and if you told me there was gender difference, I would have escorted you out of the room because I had assimilated, right? Um, I had, you know, taken on that male behavior. You know, they called me, I'm Danish, if you hear an accent, that's what it is. They called me the Danish Sherman tank, right? Because I'd taken on that extreme alpha behavior. But here's the thing. When I understood the neuroscience, I thought, you know what, I'm going to get my brain tested because I really think I have a male brain. You know, because I was transactional, you know, hierarchical, you know, all of those things, right? And I went in and uh, I got my brain tested and I had a t- completely female brain. And back to what we were talking about, nature versus nurture, right? But I had adapted taking more of a male style and I realized how exhausting it was because I was different in business than I was at home, right? So really I brought my, you know, really got in touch with the fact that I just needed to bring my whole self and my authentic self to work versus trying to assimilate something that's foreign to me, right? And uh, it made a huge difference, right? So really, you know, and the way that I can say it is that just think about if you feel that you're completely authentic and whole in the workplace, then you're good. But if you feel that you kind of have to contort yourself, etc., I don't think that's going to work for you. And many women, Howard calls it the first woman syndrome, who started in business as the first woman who felt that they had to take that on, that type of armor, you know? So, well, one of the good things about women founders, and I want to bring this to women founders because I think women founders are fantastic. And uh, not only was I one, uh, am I one, but um, I, I've watched them operate and why women don't, um, maybe they don't develop unicorns, but truthfully, unicorns are toxic in many ways. And life is not about unicorns and, and a business is not about unicornism or whatever you want to call it for me a business is you know creating a product or service that somebody will like and pay for and that will give you the opportunity to involve 
a whole other group of people working on it with you, you know, that, that are like um, your friends. You know, it's kind of like what Heyman and I do in this room. You know, it's not a, I don't know, it's like we sort of figure out how to collaborate and suggest things to each other. And I, I think that's the way that you build any kind of lasting business. And women are kind of hardwired to do that because they're mothers. And mothers are consensus builders. And I, you know, I'm not talking about neuroscience or, or epigenetics or, you know, I mean, I'm talking about personal observation over years and years that this is how women operate, this is what their businesses are, and as a result, women's businesses last. They don't necessarily swing for the fences, but they last. And and that is, I think, very important, in, you know, because I, I watch some of these businesses, they grow very big, they're run by men, they grow very big, some men make a lot of money, some people lose big, and then, you know, five years later, they don't exist anymore. And I don't, I don't feel that that's the major purpose of having a business. If I could add to what you said, Dr. Francine, it's your, the statistics are there to prove it. Here's the problem, though. A lot of VC firms um, aren't giving women the funding. And women have to go to different, a lot of founders, wannabe founders, have to go to different sources. Because, and, and this gets into gender differences again. They're not seeing that bravado, that overconfidence, which is fine for men to present. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't, there's nothing wrong with it, men or men. But they don't see it in women. And it's one of the major reasons why women don't get a lot of funding. Do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I have some very unique thoughts on that. Oh, good, Robert, how did you get up here finally? Um, some unique thoughts on that. I think um, funding in the way that it's done is fairly toxic. I think venture capitalists are sheep. I think they don't necessarily cause lasting businesses to be built. And if you want to think back about that, you have to remember that Mark Zuckerberg's father paid for his first servers in for Facebook. And there are a whole lot of other people whose companies, you know, took venture capital later and became toxic. You know, the, and, and I feel like funding, unless you're building a semiconductor factory, in which case it's impossible, funding should come from customers. The best funding should come from customers. Because if you take funding from customers, your, uh, your customers are aligned with your purpose and values. And they are not going to make you fail. They are probably, you know, they're going to make you succeed. So there, about funding. I've coached 1,500 startups, and I've told all of them to go to venture capital last and to look and see if they have customers 
before they go for any funding. And I just want to, and thank you so much for all of that, um, Dr. Francine, um, you know, your, your boots on the ground, which I guess is gendered, um, perspective on, on uh, female founders, including myself, which you funded, yay! Uh, my so, pumps on the ground, those are my pumps. Yes, the pumps on the ground, love it. Stilettos on the ground, mm, issue. Um, so I, I think we, I, we haven't mentioned Elizabeth Holmes at all, but I'm curious, um, everyone's thoughts on her, on that case, on her level of quote-unquote bravado, I just Googled now that uh, in, uh, Business Insider, quote, Elizabeth Holmes is quoted as saying, it was tough to convict a likable CEO, right? So when we're thinking about funding and, and female founders, um, the abysmal numbers for black female founders. Um, so, you know, we're seeing a white, blonde woman who did have a lot of bravado, but and was convicted, right? Um, so there's a there, there might be a gendering there, right? Versus um, the Mark Zuckerberg and some of these other um, toxic, problematic male founders. Um, but then also, I think that there's also a racial lens to look at the Elizabeth Holmes case in terms of the fallout now. Oh, she's likable, <laughs> you know, um, versus like a Hillary Clinton who was not likable. Um, so just you know, I'm going to give you. I'm a grenade into the room. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw it right back at you. And then, um, because I don't like the rooms to go on too long, yep. I, I'm probably going to draw it to a close. I'd like to hear from Robert, though. But I want to say that Elizabeth, this is how I look at Elizabeth Holmes. Elizabeth Holmes dressed herself like Steve Jobs. She copied the male model, and she took the male money, and she tried very hard to do the male thing, and because she's not a man, she's a woman, she failed, and she is a human sacrifice to Silicon Valley, which will go right on after her being as toxic as it wants to be, and and they'll fund fewer women because they'll say, well, look what happened with Elizabeth Holmes. And it pisses me off because she tried to do something that she shouldn't have even tried to do. It was against her nature. Oh, and then later on she was saying, you know, that, that she was a sex slave to Sonny Balwani or whatever his name was. So it was a sordid little story right there where she tried to be something that she wasn't. And yes, I, I, I wish I had coached her. And and I agree. And um, just before we finish, let's finish on a on a positive note. Well, so let's really, Robert, let's ask Robert to speak because I've been trying to get Robert up. For yeah, same here, Robert. Go ahead. Okay. Well, thank you, thank you so much, uh, and for such you know high quality moderating and information and leadership. I've been in and out of this room, but I heard you say something, Barbara, that I wanted to ask you. A question about it seems to be in your area of expertise having to do with kind of hormonally influenced uh, personality and mental differences between males and females. Is that something that is in your area of expertise? Yeah, and we have Dr. Denise and Dr. Wolf here as well. Yeah, thanks, Robert. Okay, so here's so here's my question. I recall hearing a really interesting presentation done at the University of San Francisco on a video some years ago that really caught my attention to understand this matter and it had to do with in the embryonic development stage that there are certain uh, 
moments in the normal development of the embryo where there's a, kind of an infusion of testosterone into the embryonic body, I think twice during the developmental period, that really has a big influence on the development of male characteristics and personalities. That's aside from, you know, the XY chromosome designation at conception and on and on. Is this something that is for real and that you're aware of and is part of a standard knowledge or is this sort of an outlying opinion? No, it's, it's for real. And 95% of us either have XX or XY. And, uh, you know, in the, in the womb, in the... about that in the first trimester uh the the brain gets developed and it becomes either male or female depending on the testosterone that's uh projected and um Jeanette, do you want to add anything to that sure uh not to get too complicated but there's kind of two big piles of this there's organizational hormones and there's activational hormones and it's the same hormones it's just during a time critical point in development and the two big ones that we think about is in utero and during adolescence so you can get testosterone like if you were to watch a competitive sporting event your testosterone level would probably go up you might have some temporary changes of how information's moved around in your brain for that moment john coates has written a lot about this he is a neuroscientist who became, who was an ex-trader. So he did that sort of really landmark study about 10 years ago, looking at testosterone levels and stock traders and how when their testosterone level went up quickly, it actually changed their shift on how they tolerated risk. And he wrote a book about how many businesses have died from a golden boy at the end of a winning streak, where he didn't even realize that he was probably changing how he was looking at risk tolerance and then there's organizational and that has to do with the amount that your brain sees during these critical periods of development including when you're developing in the uterus and going through adolescence and the amount of hormones you see during this time cause kind of permanent tracking in your brain so the way i think about it is during these periods of times you have the railroad system set up and then when you're doing these little blips of activational testosterone or prednisone or cortisol or estrogen or progesterone, which, which tracks you're using takeover. So one designs sort of the railroad system, the other sort of directs where the traffic's going at any one moment. So it's really fascinating research and this whole idea that we make intentional, deliberate type two decisions under stress is probably a lot of bullshit, whether I'm making a medical decision or whether somebody's betting on the stock market. Well, thank you for that. Uh, I want to just add on top of that one question I raised, and you've confirmed that it's for real and significant, is it made me think of, I know, could some of the, uh, the reality of gender fluidity have to do with that the amount of the hormone secretion in utero, either, you know, below the norm or above the norm that would influence people across their gender designation to be more or less uh, masculine, feminine, just at that level? Could that be an influence right there at that moment? Mm -hmm. 
Barbara, I don't know if you want to tackle that one. I don't think there's enough. I'm the wrong that. kind of doctor to answer yeah. that question. <laughs> yeah, it does. But the other thing is that when it comes to testosterone, women have testosterone too. They don't. They just exactly. don't have. Uh, they right. just don't have uh, the amount that men have. Men have four t up to four to twenty times uh, more testosterone than women, and especially if they compete. So, for example, when when women are competing versus men are competing uh, in competition, it activates men's reward centers of the brain, and when women are competing, it adds their stress centers of the brain. So that's why you see, and back to what Dr. Francine was talking about, is that women tend to want to collaborate and achieve consensus more. UCLA has a great study around stress differences between men and women, and they call it fight and flight versus tend and befriend. So now, well, can you send me that? I would like to send it. I, I have two daughters. It's right there. Heyman has it. Oh, hey, Heyman of Heyman and the Light Show. I know. Thank it's you. awesome. <laughs> it That's is awesome. awesome. You yeah. guys, we, we're going to end this room because I always end my room so that they don't get out of control. But I have to tell you, Barbara, how grateful I am to you for coming and doing this this room and bringing your friends who are amazing quality people. And I'm, I'm so happy to have all of you and so happy to meet you. And I don't want to lose touch with you. So um, I'm going to do the Clubhouse thing. Please follow me on Clubhouse and I will... Um, I will follow you so I can get in touch with you again because you are uh, amazing people and um, worth getting to know and worth getting to know more. Um, so with that, I'm going to say that we're going to end this room and next week we're going to start talking about crypto and we're going to have a very different conversation, probably because it'll be led by a woman, than the usual conversations about crypto and NFTs and the metaverse. And don't think that just because I'm a woman, I don't know anything. I have won and lost a lot of money in crypto, and I have uh, 35 NFTs and blah, 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 whatever is supposed to give you. Uh, expertise in crypto and NFTs. And let me just give you a little teaser about next week's room. There are no crypto experts. So, so there. Everyone is learning together. But please do join the Karma Club Discord server. Um, go to rally.io and... Um, Buy your five little karma coins, and that'll get you into the Discord server, and that'll get you into my vetted um, COVID information that I very, very carefully pay attention to because I am in a very high-risk group. And you can also get into Barbara's information about gender intelligence. And once again, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Francine. Thank, Thank you, Heyman. Thank you, everyone. Jeanette Thank you, Francine. Bernice. Fight for the Black. Thank you, Lavina, for joining us on Twitter Spaces. Um, Happy New Year, by the way. <laughs>